Well, I want to say hello to those of you in this room, those of you online joining us from home. Really glad that all of you are here today. So sin, that word, such a pesky little word, sin. We don't like it very much. We don't use it very often. And it's really interesting because in the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus, it, it seems like Jesus is saying two opposing things about humanity, two things that almost seem to not be able to come out of the same person's mouth. I mean, on one hand, Jesus came along and said, everyone is a sinner, and on the other hand, God loves you. In a way, he came and made everybody feel worse about themselves by saying everyone is a sinner. I mean, listen to these words from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He came into this environment, this religious system of the time where they were saying, you know, just follow the rules and you will be righteous. You can do this with enough self-discipline, with enough commitment. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You thought you were kind of bad? You're really bad. You, You thought you were like, could be righteous? No, you can't be righteous. You, you thought you were good? You're not good. Like nobody's good enough to be in God's good favor. But then he also came along and said, God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And the people must have been confused. Like, wait a minute, which is it? Either I'm terrible or God loves me. It's like Jesus is like, yes, both. Both and, like you're terrible and God loves you. (laughs) Like you're worse than you thought and God loves you more than you can imagine. You are in fact so bad that I must die. You are in fact so loved that I'm willing to. It's kind of a strange thing because here in this passage for today, Jesus is comparing anger, anger, with murder, anger and murder. And yet we know that Jesus himself got angry. In verse 21, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And you can imagine everybody going, oh yeah, 10 commandments, thou shalt not murder. Check, haven't done that. Most people in the listening were probably like, haven't murdered anyone, I'm good. I've never murdered anybody, I'm a good person. And then Jesus goes on and says this, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Like, imagine what the people are thinking. Okay, wait a minute, Jesus, time out. You're saying murdering someone is the same thing as just like thinking about murdering them? My anger towards somebody makes me as guilty as an actual murderer, and then Jesus is like, I'm not done yet, right? You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, he says just a little later, and they're like, yeah. Many, many were probably like, yeah, that's right. I know that. I'm a good person. Haven't done that. We're good people, and then he says, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, and I'm not done, Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the people are probably like, wait, 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 what? So if I'm angry, that's like murder? If I have a lustful thought, that's like adultery? If I don't love my enemies, 
if you, you say that I'll never please you because I don't love my enemies, like, they're probably thinking, like, that's what it takes to be righteous? Like, good grief, I guess God's going to be in heaven all alone because the only person who can ever be righteous is God himself. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, that's the point. That's actually the point. That's my point. You came to this sermon thinking you're good people and you just make some mistakes and all you need is to do a little better, try a little harder, have a little more self-discipline. Like surely with some effort, you can improve. And Jesus is like, no, I'm here to convince you that there is no hope for you if it depends on your effort and your righteousness. I mean, just consider Jesus' words about anger in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. It would seem like, you know, you look at the scriptures as a whole, it would seem like the Bible teaches that, you know, it's not no anger. It's also not blowing up anger. It's slow to anger. God, God himself is said to be slow to anger and abounding in love. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about anger's dangerous power. Like you could say in a way, anger is basically good in its pure form. God gets angry, Jesus got angry. When anger is in a pure form, it's good. But the problem, as Sky Jathani points out in this section of the reading of the book for this week, our anger is rarely in a pure form. In pure form... Anger is really just, it's energy expressed towards something bad that is threatening something good. You think about a mama bear with her cub, and her love for her cub is fierce, and something comes and threatens that cub, she is angry. Anger in a pure form is really just energy expressed, you know, something bad is threatening something good. So, you could say like, Anger in pure form is love in motion. Something you really love is being threatened. So if you take it a step back, you could just ask yourself, what most angers you? And then ask, what are you defending? And if you can discern that, you have the answer to the things your heart loves most. When God is angry, he's angry at the cancer of sin that's destroying the human race that he loves. If he was not angry about this, it would only mean that he was indifferent. And indifference is actually a form of hate. And God is love. What Jesus is warning us about in the Sermon on the Mount is anger's dangerous power in our lives. Anger's dangerous power in how we lose control. That anger is a dangerous power. More often than not, with us, anger hurts community. It destroys friendships. It wounds relationships. Like, anger hinders our ability to make wise choices. Anger is actually worse on our bodies physically. 
it is harder on your heart than sorrow and physical pain. Like, nothing sets you up for a heart attack more than ongoing anger. Very hard on us. And the other thing about anger is it's, it's like an addictive substance. And so like any addiction, very often there's like denial hand in hand with the addiction, right? So we say, angry? I'm not angry. I'm just a direct speaker. I'm just getting things off my chest. I'm just standing up for justice. Anger is addictive in that sense that it often leads us to, de to denial. So, okay, if anger is basically good <laughs> in a pure form, where does it go wrong for us? St. Augustine said, the biggest problem we have is disordered loves. We turn good things into ultimate things. We look to certain things that are good to give us the worth and significance that only God can give. So we love good things more than we love God. And this is a bit of a silly example, but our family has been reading, we just finished reading Anne of Green Gables, classic, and then we watched the old school movie of it. And there is a scene, so many great lines in that story, but there is a scene where Anne wants to dye her red hair auburn. And when she dyes her hair, it turns green. She's very upset. And she says, they have to cut her hair off. And she says to Marilla, her caregiver, with this green hair getting chopped off, oh, Marilla, I'm in the depths of despair. I'm in the depths of despair. And Marilla, and she says, have you ever been in the depths of despair? And Marilla says, no. To despair is to turn your back on God. Okay, to modern listeners, we're like, whoa, Marilla, like chill out. Right? That is so harsh. That is so, to despair is to turn your back on God. But when you think about it, when you think about it, Marilla and St. Augustine were saying really the same thing. Anne, you have taken a good thing, your hair, and you have turned it into an ultimate thing. And so you despair. You love it, your hair, your image, more than God. See, our anger, it goes wrong because our anger is disordered because our loves are disordered. Our disordered loves lead to our disordered anger. And admitting, <laughs> just admitting that you are angry it's a very vulnerable thing for a lot of us. Because here's the thing, it reveals someone's affected you. Someone has had an effect on you, and it would be easier, it, it would be preferred very often to just be uninfluenced, be unmoved. Admitting anger is admitting, it's revealing, I've been moved. I've been influenced. And yet, if we don't admit it, if we don't admit our anger, it's like the root of anger remains. And roots become shoots, 
become trees, become forests in our lives, which is why the scriptures say, do not sleep on it, right? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, like, deal with it. As soon as possible, deal with it. Don't carry around unresolved anger for any longer than you need to. Admit it, deal with it, forgive where forgiveness is needed because eventually, the scriptures are saying, it's gonna cause you to sin. It's like the danger in allowing the sun to set on unresolved anger and unresolved hurt and frustration is over time, if the sun sets too many times, I actually can forget the source. Like before long, without meaning to, we can actually lose sight and forget the source of our anger and frustration. I was just talking to my mom about this, and she was telling me about how with her siblings, there have been different periods through the decades where something happened, and a couple siblings, she's one of six, a couple siblings get sideways with each other. And then there's this long period of estrangement or no talking or whatever. And, and then she's like, and then we get back together, and no one can really remember what it was really ever about originally anyway. Like the sun sets enough times, and you actually forget the source. If, if something happens today, and I don't deal with it tonight, or I don't deal with it tomorrow, or in the next week, or next month, or next year, eventually what happens is the scenery around me changes. Eventually, my circumstances change. Eventually, I don't have to be with that person anymore. I'm not in relationship with them anymore. Or eventually, I have a different job, or I have a different neighbor, or I have a different workplace, or I have a different boss, or I have a different church. Eventually, the people around you change, but if you haven't resolved the anger, you carry it with you. You take the seeds of unresolved anger with you. And I think many of us operate on the assumption that like, if I could just change the circumstances and get a little time and space, then this will go away. If I could just get a new roommate, if I could just get a new neighborhood, if I could just get a new marriage, if I could just get out of this situation and give it a little bit of time, I'll be okay. But here's the thing, time, does not heal all wounds. That would be like getting in a car crash and getting injured in the car crash, crash and the paramedics come to you and you say, just take me away from this site and give me a little bit of time and I'll be fine. No. You, you take your injury with you. It needs tending. And so when we hear these words of Jesus, it is right to hear these words, anger and murder. It is right to hear them and to think to ourselves, really, Jesus? Like, you're telling me, like, murder and anger on the same plane? Good grief. If that's what righteousness is, nobody's righteous but God. And again, Jesus is like, yes, that's the whole point. 
Like too often we just come to Jesus thinking we're basically good people who need to do better, try harder, have more self-discipline. With some effort, we can improve and do these things. And Jesus is like, I didn't come to give some good tips on anger to some basically good people. I came to save sinners. And unless I see myself as a sinner, I'm not in need of a savior. You cannot have the exchanged life inside of you. Remember, he started this sermon talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who know that there is nobody righteous but God. Jesus is saying you cannot do these things I'm talking about on your own with some effort. They are not, I am, Jesus is saying these are not the things that are accomplished on the just try a little harder treadmill. Jesus is saying, I'm talking about divine life inside of you. I'm talking about my life living through you. I'm talking about the exchanged life, the cruciform life. You die with me. You rise with me. I live in you. Like, I've come to live and die and rise so that this resurrection life might come alive in you. think, Think, imagine for a minute, a parent who has a teenager. And let's just imagine the teenager gets really sideways with dad one day. And it's because dad was asking him to not do something that everybody who is reasonable in the world knows is self-destructive and really stupid to do. But in that moment, the teenager gets super angry. And is like, you don't care about me. You hate me. And I hate you. You've never cared about me. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Okay, in that moment, nothing more painful. Because even though dad has probably not been perfect, he's probably given more to that kid than anybody else in the world. Very painful. And it's a moment, in a sense, it hurts so much because that is the most unjustified disproportionate, disordered rage, and it hurts like crazy, and yet there's this huge test in this moment for the parent, because here's the choices. Dad can just withdraw, leave the kid to his own self-destructive path, so walk away, wash, wash your hands of it, like just withdraw, or another option, dad can go in with like guns blazing, You rage at me, I rage at you. You hate me, well, I hate you too. You attack me, I attack you back. And because dad and mom, you know, probably have like 20 or 30 years of verbal abuse experience above the kid, they probably win, except they lost. So what must be done the hardest thing to do, the only way to save the child, is like to come in close and to insist on the truth in love, like a surgical strike. You know, because if you stay away and withdraw, 
the foolishness wins. And if you go in guns blazing, the foolishness wins. So a surgical strike is the only way, like you come in close. I'm going to gently insist on the truth. It's the only way. This is how it is. This is how it's going to be. In a way, the parent has to, I mean, they can be mad at the foolishness in the kid, but in a way, in that moment, they have to absorb the anger without paying back without withdrawing and without mirroring the anger that's coming at them. The only way is to, in a sense, absorb that rage. I know you're angry. I know you don't like this, but this is how it's going to be. It's like the only way to save, to attempt to save the child in the relationship. You realize what God did? Like, we're like that kid, and we often don't want to admit it, but we are like that kid. We want this, we want this, we're mad at God, we wanted it this way, it didn't go this way. God, why didn't you make it different? We want all these things, and the proof that we are mad is in the story of what happened to Jesus when he came. We killed him, we mocked him, we reviled him, and he did not withdraw. And he did not come in with guns blazing. He came in close, telling us the truth about ourselves, insisted on the truth, and did not accommodate the truth to our preferences, absorbed our, ring, our rage, our anger, without paying back in self-sacrificing love. Like God didn't charge in like a rhino, and he didn't retreat like a prickly porcupine. Those are often the two ways we go with our anger, right? Either full-on rage or you're like, oh, I'll just go over here and be super prickly. He did not attack. He did not avoid. He went to the cross. He absorbed our disordered rage, our anger. He said the most gentle words, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And here's the thing. The spirit of the one who did this resides in you giving you the resurrection power to turn around and live the same. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother has already committed murder. Jesus said something here that's impossible. It's impossible. And yet because of the resurrection, Christ made that which is impossible possible. It's kind of like my hometown pastor used to have this thing he would often say, which is like, when I first became a follower of God in the way of Jesus, when I first became a Christian, I was like, oh, Christian life is pretty easy. And then I lived a little while. Returned to the teachings of Jesus and it was like, oh, Christian life is hard. And then I got hurt really hurt and tried to forgive and I realized Christian life is impossible. And that, at the end of myself, right, at the end of my efforts, at the end of my resources, at the end of all my good ideas, that's where God's grace begins. 
That's where it starts. Like Jesus is the only one who can live the Christian life. So let's take Jesus seriously. And when we do, it's not about doing it all right. Rather, it's about doing it wrong and falling again and again and again on the mercy and the grace of God in Christ. Like anger then, our anger, your anger, my anger, it actually becomes like a data point when we get curious about it. It becomes a data point for that which my heart most loves, that which I most cherish, where I come to find out that very often my anger comes from a love that is not ultimately God. It's, it's like an idol. And God himself is slow to anger and abounding in love. And God by his spirit resides in you if we take Jesus seriously, yield to his lordship in us, then this is what the divine life of Christ will look like in you and I too. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, you... You're too patient and too kind to just charge into the places of pain and anger in our lives. So right here, right now, we imagine a door in our hearts where we hide our anger, we hide our pain. And because you won't come charging through, we open that door to you now. Please come in and heal us in our hurts. Heal us in our anger. Bring your resurrection power into the places of our pain. God, your anger is, it's the rare example of pure love. (laughs) But our anger, our anger is, is disordered by the disordered ways in which we love. God, only you are free to be angry at the right things, angry in the right ways. We find ourselves angry in such self-absorbed ways. It's just one of these places we see how very far off we are that we could talk about this, but it's so very hard to apply when the powerful forces of anger well up within us. So may we open our, the, the door of our hurting hearts and enter the room of your deep love and sit down in safety and admit where we are angry. May we hear your tender voice speaking the words of healing that we need in the places of our pain, we pray. God, thank you that you've given us, already given us, what we need to be like your son Jesus through the power of the resurrection that resides in us. May we practice resurrection in our anger. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you be in us what we cannot be in ourselves, we pray today. Amen.